So, today, we're going to talk about hope and joy. Mainly joy. And some of this is going to cut, so I just want to warn you before I get going here, that this, this, this might be a sore subject for some people. And we're talking about joy. <laughs> just so you know. But first we're going to consider a ghost of Christmas past. Not, we're not talking about Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge and his mistakes as a youth. We're going to be talking about some of the mistakes we have made as parents of Christmas past. You know, especially the lengths we go to get the perfect gift for our child. You know, for example, anybody remember the 80s in America? Because I do, and I didn't even live here. Because you made the news worldwide because of a doll named Cabbage Patch. People were fighting in the stores so they could have the right Cabbage Patch for that for their child. You know, they were almost killing each other over a doll. Okay, and then in the nineties, anybody remember the Tickle Me Elmo doll? I have. People, people were paying thousands of dollars for a Tickle Me Elmo doll so they could have it under the tree for their child on Christmas Day. And they were paying for a toy that went into seizures of giggling fits when you squeezed him. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in the 2000s, if you have a daughter or a granddaughter, you might remember the Bratz dolls. There was such a desperation for the right character. They overlooked how much sass and rebellion these dolls had. They had to get the right doll for their daughter. And why are we so eager? Ask yourself, why are we so eager to buy our children a toy whose primary message, this is the primary message this is sent to your children. You guys are idiots. That's what the child goes. My parents are idiots. They, they, they are literally, they are idiots. They fight to get me the right gift. What, what, sort, of, what sort of image are we saying to our children? You know, and Right now, the, and I don't even know what this is, but the Zuzu pet, you can pay three times what it's worth if you go on Blackwell to buy it. Because this is supposed to be the new gift. But you know what the amazing gift is? And some of you probably had these, so this is going to be funny. But in Christmas past, now we're going to go back to the 70s. Okay. So, pay was a, such a thing as a pet rock. I never heard of this, by the way. This one happened. Pet rocks! Pet rocks! Kids wanted pet rocks, so parents went out and bought pet rocks. Bought from a store something they could have went to their garden and picked up and put in a box. And then, do you know what? This box, these pet rocks, they had, I found out they had a box. And it had air holes in it. What does a rock need an air hole for? Kids wanted them. I'm going to pet rocks. But the thing about pet rocks is the downside is they don't. You look at them and they just stay there. They don't move. But the upside, there's an upside down in the pet rock. 
You don't have to push it down the toilet when it dies. <laughs> I mean, a rock that became your pet. Now, so what will it be this year? What will be this year? Millions of parents, millions of parents, and de are desperately hoping that this year they'll find the right toy for their child. And I believe that adults do the same thing. Adults have to get the right gift for their significant other or the, 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 the friend. And they go crazy trying to do it. They go crazy. And the toy that will both light up Christmas morning, you know when the kids come down and it's that toy that lights up Christmas morning, they open it and they go, wow, not my favorite toy I ever had. An Atari. I got an Atari. And it was that awesome. It's the only one, probably the toy that lasted me the longest. But an Atari was my, the big light up moment of my life as a child. Unpacking that, amazing. But we, we want to see that on our children's face and we're desperately hoping that this year we're going to have the right toys under the tree to make them all of what we call joy. We're going to find out that's not real joy in a minute, but what we think is real joy. We, what they, we want to see them happy. We want them to see, we're the best parents. Look what we did. My dad and mom rock. They got me a pet rock. No, but, but, but we want to see them light up. I don't even want to think about the gifts that I bought for my children, who's one sitting over there, that they played with on Christmas Day. And that is it. That is it. I've got a granddaughter that does that too. She wants all kinds of stuff. That LOL you said. Oh. oh yeah, they open them. <laughs> that, that, that the gift isn't opening them. They get all their pleasure out of opening them yeah. and then they discard whatever's inside the box. They just want, I may as well wrap up a bunch of stuff and just, just layers of wrapping. Exactly. <laughs> Makes it longer. Takes, takes time to open you know, but we bought gifts. Every one of us in here can say we bought gifts that didn't get played with longer than Christmas Day. That we probably had gifts that we didn't play for longer than Christmas Day. So, but we keep buying and keep hoping that this year it'll be different. That this year we're going to nail it. We do this because we're desperate for joy. We're desperate for joy. Not. We get joy, by the way, when we see others having joy. When we buy somebody the perfect gift and they're so excited about getting it. We, we, we get, we, we get excited. We get full of joy. And it's not the, it's not the joy I'm talking about today. I just want you to get that clear. That's not joy. That is not what we're talking about. If I can get this slide to work properly. Yeah. Luke 2, 8 through 12 says this, And the same region where the shepherds were out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news, good news of great joy that I that will be for all the people. You know what's funny? Is we go back back to verse, he said, they were filled with fear. They were filled with fear. Do you know every time the Bible talks about the counter with God? Anybody who's had an encounter with God in the Bible, in the Bible, not in the bookstore, but in the Bible, okay, are filled with fear. Anybody? Because the angel says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Do you know why they tell them fear not? Because the Savior's been born. See, before this fact, is when you were in the presence of God before Jesus came, you would have burned up. But Jesus covers our sin. He covers our sin. We will still, I believe, that when I go to heaven, when people do something that says, will I stand or will I kneel? I believe I will drop to my knees because I know what a wicked person I am at heart. And I will be full of fear. But I know that my Lord and my Savior, Jesus, is going to say to me, he's going to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I died for you. And then it says, for unto you, for unto you, maybe, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. See, Luke continues later in the story, and he says this. They hurried, hurried off. They dropped everything, left the sheep, and hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word containing what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were amazed at what the shepherds said, because the shepherds were full of what we're going to talk about. Real joy. Real joy. You see, this Christmas present was different than any other Christmas present that had ever been given, or will ever be given again. This Christmas present is the best Christmas present you can ever give anybody. You see, the problem with toys and most of the things we look for hope in and joy in is a case of diminishing returns. See, in economics, the law of diminishing returns says that as an, as an investment in a particular area increases, the rate of profit from that increases. After a certain point, though, it cannot con continue to increase if other variables remain constant. That's why we, with both toys and things we've accumulated over the years, and I'm not just talking about Christmas, 
I'm talking about all the crap that you've got in your house. All of the stuff that you've accumulated over the years is diminishing. Is diminishing. And we put our hope and joy in that. We find that the more we go back to that thing, or think on that thing, the less joy it brings. You know, we buy, we buy stuff. We buy TVs. We buy cars. We buy big, big purchases now. But most people just don't go out and buy. They have to put it on a credit card. But the problem with that is you have to make the payments. So now you've got the good-looking car, but now you've got to make the payments. How long is that joy going to last? So you get the bill. So you get the bill. You see, the more I think about it, the more the less joy it brings. We have to ask the question: what is the reason for our joy? What is the reason we have joy? So the reason for hope and the foundation of joy. Even if you had an incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience. If you had the best experience you could ever have, you could only hold on to an experience for so long. You can only hold on to it so long. So say, let's let's say after church today, all of us are going to the airport and we're all going to get an airplane and we're all going to jump out of it. We're all going to get a parachute on and hopefully they work. If not, actually, hopefully, if they don't work, we're okay. We'll talk about that later too. But, but we all go, we all go in a plane we fly out, we all jump out. When we jump out of the plane, we'll, it'll be one of the most exhilarating things you've ever done in your life. I've never done it, I want to do it, but I've never done it, and I think it's going to be really awesome if I ever get to do it. Okay? For the next few days, though, thinking about it, the jump brings, you know, a level of adrenaline and delight. It brings a level of adrenaline and delight. But soon, the memory doesn't hold the same power, does it? That same power doesn't, what's more, the next jump doesn't quite do what the first jump did, did it? We chase that first jump. Anybody's an addict in here? <laughs> uh, you don't need that help, you know. That means that, that's probably most of us are, are some sort of addicts, but we've got some hardcore ones in here too. And you know what? Any addict that I would talk to, if I asked them this question, okay, the first drink, the first bump, the first whatever we want to put in there, the smoke, whatever it is, was the best one they ever had. It was the best one you ever had. The first time was the best. And you chased that high the rest of your life. You know, and, and let's talk about food, just in case anybody thinks I'm not an addict. Okay? Take the best piece of cake, just, just whatever your favorite cake is, okay? Imagine the biggest piece of that. It, it's baked to perfection. The frosting is amazing. The filling, amazing. You take the first bite, that first bite is amazing, okay? And the second bite, it never tastes the same. It never tastes the same. You chase the first bite. I'm making a confession here, my wife will agree. I love mint Oreos 
and this isn't, I don't want anybody to buy them for me. I love mint Oreo covered in fudge. Oh, like the fudge covered mint Oreo. If I go to the store and buy them, okay, I cannot just have one. They do not make it back in my house. <laughs> I think there's like 20 cookies in one of them, or 18, and I eat every one. And by the way, if I buy them at Walmart, I live less than three minutes away from Walmart. <laughs> and I can finish, I've been known to open them in the store before I pay for them and eat half of them through the store and then pay for them and then finish the other half off. <laughs> but guess what? They never take the first one. I'm chasing the high from the first one, really. That's all I'm doing is the first one tasted so good I want to taste that again. And then I'm shoving them in my mouth so fast that you can't taste anything. You know? That's what we do with stuff. See, a memory can only last so long. And after a while, you find jumping doesn't do much of anything for you anymore. You see, in the same way, if you were given an amazing gift today, it only brings happiness for so long. Eventually, it just becomes part of the massive stuff that you have. But the first Christmas gift is different. It's a different sort of gift altogether. The shepherds show us that encountering Jesus is a different sort of experience. It had such an impact on the shepherds that they had to spread the word after they heard, had seen him. This was a, a, a lasting hope and a lasting joy that, that could not be contained. Is that the joy you feel? Because I would doubt that everybody in this room feels that kind of joy, that the joy cannot be contained. But by the end of this service, I am going to give you the tools to be able to feel that joy all the time. But you have to pick them up and use them. And a lot of us are going to say, it's not going to get You see, three decades after this encounter, Jesus gives us his insight on this sort of hope and joy for our lives. John 15, 11 says this. These things I have spoken to you, okay, about his life and why he's came, that, that my joy may be in you. So the joy we're going to talk about is the joy that Jesus gives us. The joy that Jesus gives you. He wants it to be in you and that you, your joy may be full. He doesn't want to give you a little bit of joy. He wants to give you a whole lot of joy. How many people are up for that? Yeah. A whole lot of joy. See, we all taste hope. We experience joy. But how many of us would say our joy is complete? That we can't, we don't need any more joy. You know what's funny? There are 250 passages in the NIV, translation of the Bible, that deal with joy. 250 passages that deal with joy. If you read them, you will find out the Bible doesn't encourage joy. It doesn't encourage you to be joyful. It commands us to be joyful. In fact, the Bible commands us to rejoice twice as many times, twice as many times as 
What's really important? Repentance. I believe repentance is super important. And you're supposed to be joyful twice as much as repentful. Twice as much. So I would say being joyful is pretty a serious topic in the Bible, wouldn't you? We aren't just given permission to laugh or have some fun times. God wants you, your life, to be constantly, constantly overflowing and filled with joy. Is that how you would describe your life? Would you describe your life overflowing with joy? The shepherd's joy was a result of what God had done. Watching sheep at night has its merit. But the hope, wonder, and life-changing joy that they them began when they first heard of Jesus. And the joy grew as they met Jesus. Joy begins for us in the same way it began for the shepherds, you see. Joy begins by meeting Jesus. Without that foundation, how can we have hope to have everlasting joy? How can we have hope to have everlasting joy if we don't meet the real Jesus? Very few, very few things last forever. An encounter with Jesus, however, remains and grows through all eternity. All eternity. Meeting Jesus never stops impacting, shaping, and transforming our lives. It never stops giving us hope and opportunities for joy. See, with, with the foundation, that foundation in mind, let's zero in at a few basic themes that reoccur numerous times in those 250 passages of joy. If we are going to walk in the joy God has for us, it, it would seem we should pay attention to what the Bible says. So that means you have to read your Bibles, folks. You want to know about joy? Pick up your Bible and read it. Don't take my word for it, because I could be up here talking just for entertainment value. But the Bible will tell you that what I'm telling you is true. If you want joy, if you were going to walk in the joy God has, has, has for you, it seems we should pay attention to what the Bible says. While our foundation for joy comes as a result for what Jesus did for us, we find that embracing daily joy has little to do with what happens every day. You do realize the joy I'm talking about doesn't have nothing to do with how you're doing the day, where you live, how much money you have, if you've got the next meal plan. That is not the joy that I am offering. That is not the joy that God is offering. It is so much better. See, in fact, according to the many passages in the Bible, hope and joy are more of a mindset or a posture for living that comes from what Jesus did at Christmas than simply as a result of feelings. It's an undeniable theme coming concerning joy in the Bible. We have to embrace this Joy. We have to embrace the hope and joy that has been given to us. If you profess the name of Jesus, guess what? These are your promises. 
the Apostle Paul clearly demonstrates the truth in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. This is what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. This is an emphasize. This is like in the Bible, this was BAM! I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is there. You know, what's funny about that passage is we think our lives are bad. Paul writes that while in a Roman prison. And the Romans were good. We can't do this in, in, in America because it's human rights wouldn't allow us to. But in, in Rome, in Roman days, when they, they built prisons, they built prisons. They ran their sewer system right through it. Right through the prison system. They ran their sewer system. And Paul, Paul is in prison, wrongly accused in prison. And he writes this letter and he says, rejoice, and then emphasizes rejoice. Always. Not just in the good things, but when I'm in a dark, damp prison with the smell of poop running through it. I am going to rejoice. See, one important part of walking in hope and joy is to choose to rejoice in everything. Much of the hope, joy, and rejoicing in the Bible isn't really concerned or connected with circumstances. We think we can only be happy if we have, if we have. That's not what the Bible teaches us. I don't know where we get that. I don't know because there's people that you can go to church in different churches that teach this. That if you have this, you will be happy. If you pray for it, it will come. That's not what the Bible teaches. See, it's connected with a decision that we make. In fact, one of the keys to life of joy is to rejoice even when the circumstances are disappointing or even painful. Can you imagine living a life that you can do that in? That you can rejoice and be in joy when you are in disappointing or painful circumstances. Take, for example, this amazing prayer of Habakkuk. The prophet prays to God when Israel in a state of terrible disarray. You know, wickedness and idolatry ruled the land and Assyrians, were, they were knocking on the door, threatening to overwhelm Israel. And eventually they did. And as I read this prayer that Habakkuk wrote in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18, pay attention to both the circumstances and then the prophet response. Habakkuk's response to the circumstances. He says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Guess what that means? No supper. <laughs> That's what that means. No supper. Today, maybe tomorrow, 
response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, there is not much more that can be going wrong in Israel at that time, is there? Yet Habakkuk's response is to rejoice. When you're going through a tough time, it's your first response. Rejoice. Is it to be joyful? No, it's not. Not just to rejoice, but be joyful. That's amazing. Normally good things happen. You know, we get an unexpected check in the mail. We get, we get, we get stuff happen. We get a great gift. It's, it's Christmas season. We get a great <coughs> gift. And we're like, wow, I've been wanting one of them my whole life. Right? And, and we're, we get happy. We get happy. But we, we think we feel joy. And we think we rejoice. See, when our prospects look good and our hope fills our hearts, the Bible says that's fine. But it also works the other way around. You see, you start rejoicing. You start rejoicing and then you feel joy. You start rejoicing and then you feel joy. Like the shepherds, we always have a reason to rejoice. Christ has came. Do you know you don't deserve that, don't you? I think we forget that. I think we think God owes us. He owes you nothing. He owes you nothing. Yet he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for you. Think about that. If he gives you nothing the rest of your life, and you have to live in a dumpster, or a garbage pit, or whatever, he has given you more than you deserve. More than you deserve. So right there, you have a reason to rejoice. Right there, you have a reason to rejoice. You see, and you choose to rejoice in that. And the joy will follow. You see, joy flows out of rejoicing every bit as much as rejoicing should flow out of joy. Here's an example. I hate feeling embarrassed. I hate feeling embarrassed. I hate feeling like an idiot. You see, we all make mistakes. We all do stuff that's, that's foolish. And we... Just act like an idiot. We all do it. Everyone in here does it. Okay? And and personally, I hate it when I feel like that. But when the, that feeling comes, the first thing we want to do is we want to push it away or run from it, don't we? We want to push it away or run from it. We, we run from it, we try to forget it, or we try to replace it, or this is a good one, we try to defend it. I try and defend it. And in the fact, most of us will do whatever it takes just to not feel it anymore. Just to not realize that But the next time you feel like this, the next time you're embarrassed, the next time you do some idiotic, okay, the next time you get called out, when embarrassment, when it comes, 
Don't expect to enjoy it, but try to rejoice in it. And I'll tell you why. Not that you ask him. But we can actually thank God that in this situation, when we feel foolish, it's because it's a chance for our ego to be contained, challenged, or even broken. You see, isn't that why we feel embarrassed in the first place? Because our egos are so big, and they do not like to be challenged. See, so instead of running away from it or pushing it down, try giving the praise and thanks to God. Try saying something like this to God. Lord, thank you for this chance to be humble. This is being joyful. This is, this is rejoicing. Thank you that my ego and my pride are being challenged. I rejoice in you that I'm being made new because that is what's happening in this moment. God is making you new in this horrible feeling I have right now. That approach, that approach alone can change the way you go through all sorts of failure because I can tell you right now, everyone in this room is going to fail. Everyone in this room is going to fail at something. We're not perfect. We won't be on this side of heaven. We're not perfect. That approach can change the way we go through all sorts of things. We, we probably won't even desire them. We, 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 we probably won't even ever desire them. We won't want this stuff to come. We won't want this to come. We won't want to be called out. But maybe for the first time in our lives, we can choose to have joy in the midst of them. We can choose joy. It's a choice. It's a choice. The hope of joy is, is one that can never be taken away. This hope that I'm talking about, this joy, you can't get it stolen from you. If you have this, it will just grow and grow and grow. It cannot be stolen from you. You remember what Romans 8.28 says? This is what it says. In case you didn't remember. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So called according to his purpose, let's put that. If you confess the name of Jesus as your Savior, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is part of the, the Trinity, God, the, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you believe that he came as a child, lived a life that you could not live, but died for you, but did not stay in the grave, he rose three days later, and he rose so you could have everlasting life with God, then you are called according to his purpose. Okay? That is you. So this passage now is talking about you. Okay? And it says all things. And I say this a lot, but that all things was translated correctly from Greek to English. Okay? All things means all things. It doesn't mean some things. And it, 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 it doesn't mean most things. It means all things. So in all things, God works together in all things. 
can absolutely be certain that one of two things is happening. Either God sent it, or God's going to use it. <coughs> the reason I stand here today is because God didn't send something, but he used something that happened to me in my life. You know, my, my father-in-law died. And that's why I can stand here today. Because he didn't make that happen. And you know what? I believe in an all-powerful God. Okay? I didn't at the time, but I do now. And I believe that God can do anything he wants. And he could have stopped that if he wanted to. But he was calling his son home. And he used that to reach a person who said they would never step foot in church. I said I would never step foot in church. And I'm standing here preaching to you today. Because God doesn't waste anything. And today, I can find joy in that. Not the kind of joy, but the, the, the happiness joy that you think, that I'm, talk, I'm talking about joy of Christ, the joy that only can come from God. Because I think God sends things that aren't quite what we ask for. When you pray, you pray prophetically, by We ask for stuff most of the time. Okay? And I'm not saying God doesn't give that stuff, but have you ever noticed that when you pray, God answers prayers, but he never answers them most of the time how you pray them? Oh, yeah. He never answers them how you pray them. And sometimes he doesn't answer them at all. But, but, when, but, but a lot of times he doesn't say what he asks for. You know, I also think that there are tragedies of the pain that, that God doesn't send, but if you love him, if you love him, you can be sure that he is using it somehow, in some way, for your good, because he is mindful of you and watchful over you. You know, if you've had children, you are pretty mindful and watchful over your children, but you suck compared to God. <coughs> Just let me tell you that, you suck compared to God. God is amazing. He is always watching over you. Always. In fact, we can always have hope, we can always rejoice, and one of, one of the eventual outflows of rejoicing is joy. It is joy. Do you remember what the big sin, this might cut a little bit now, what the big sin of the Israelites fell into when they were wandering in the desert after the escape Egypt? And if you was at first service, don't have to this. There was two of them. One was idolatry. Okay. One was idolatry. But and that was what I expected everybody to say is that idolatry if they were going to pick one. But do you know what was the more common one? I think every Israelite did this. And everybody in this room does it. They were complaining. 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 How many people complain? Yeah. Complaining. Do you know what it did to God? Made man. 
made him mad, yeah, angry, made him angry. Some of us need to be reminded that complaining and grumbling are, guess what? Sins. Sins. Complaining and grumbling are sins. We are called to share our burdens. Share our burdens. Okay? Please let's be honest with each other. We all need to be honest with our pain that we suffer with. Okay? I hope we need godly friends. I hope you have godly friends that you can that can lift you up and share when they struggle and you struggle. You can share each other's struggles. However, grumbling and complaining about your boss, about your kids, about their teachers, about your relatives, about where you live, about the president about your homeowners association, about your pastor, about your friends, is sin. Is sin. Think about that. It's sin. God doesn't like it. He got angry at the Israelites because of it. They ended up 40 years in the desert because of grumbling. It's it's incredibly dishonoring and divisive. Just as rejoicing restores your joy, just as rejoicing restores joy to you, complaining steals it. Every time you complain, you're taking away your own joy. Every single time. Think about that. How many people want more joy? All of you said at the beginning of the service you wanted more joy. And all of you raised your hand when I asked you who complained. So I can tell you right now that if you start complaining, you'll have more joy. You should be grateful. Yes, see, my granddaughter's agreeing with me. Preach, girl. How many of you know people who complain a lot? How many of those people would you describe as this? And put yourself in that category when you're complaining. How many people would you say, actually just do yourself. When you're complaining, ask yourself, are you hopeful when you complain? Are you joyful when you complain? Are you happy when you complain? No. So guess what? You're not none of them to be around when people around you, they don't feel any of that from you either. And you, in this room, profess to be Christians. You are supposed to be spreading the joy that God has given you. We suck at it. <laughs> I'm challenging us to do better. To do better. Because I think we'll reach more people if we start living a life full of joy. See, it doesn't help when we complain. It hurts. If you complain a lot, stop it. Complaining is actually a declaration. This is what you're saying to yourself. I'm at war with myself. How many of you would go to war with yourself? Willingly? Willingly go to war with yourself. Nobody. Nobody is going to willingly hurt themselves. 
Okay? Complaining is willingly telling to yourself, I don't want it to have any joy in my life. I just want to complain about the circumstances that most of them circumstances, by the way, if we're honest, are caused by our own stupid mistakes. And God is trying to use them to grow us, and we get complaining about it, and guess what it does? It doesn't grow us. It does not grow us at all. It, it pushes us away from the one who wants us to change. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for any other joy than what I am telling you about. Don't settle for anything less. There's another undeniable thing connected to our continued hope and growing joy that's found throughout the Bible. It's in it's most clearly seen in Psalms 51. David really messed up a lot. He he messed up a lot. And in this psalm, (laughs) you too, David, you you can probably relate to this. But and what he'd done is he slept with Bathsheba. And then he had Bathsheba's uh, husband killed. Because that's what people do if you're a king and you sleep with somebody's wife. You send him off to the front line and have the army killed because you know he won't come back if he went out to the front line. And in verses 3 and 4 in Psalms, this is what David writes. This is after he's been confronted. He said this, My sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, I think the high priest the high point of this psalm is in verse 12, when, when this is what David says in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, it doesn't matter what we go through in life. We have got salvation. We have got salvation. You see, our sin is almost certainly will bring temporary pleasure. How many here, especially, have have done some really wicked stuff that's really simple, that at the time they did it, it felt really good. It felt really good, but it destroyed your life a little bit later. It destroyed your life. Because of choices that you make. Because that's what it does. And God is saying, I can restore that. You see, it might bring that temporary pleasure, that temporary relief, maybe it might at the time bring you a little bit of happiness, but we all know that in the end, it will steal you of hope and crush your joy. It will crush your joy. See, David also wrote this in Psalms 19.8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Who gives you joy? God gives you joy. The, The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to your eyes. Who gives you light? God gives you light. See, do you want your eyes lit up? Do you want to come alive? Do you want to have unshakable hope and joy? Then do things God's way. Stop trying to do it your way. Your way does not work. See, 
I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. He is from England. <laughs> and this, this is one of my favorite, favorite bits out of the way of glory of the book. And I love it. I love this. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday. That's a vacation for you Americans. At the sea, we are too easily pleased. See, Lewis makes a powerful connection with David's words in Psalms 51.12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, I think we are too easily forget what it is the angel is pronouncing to the shepherds. And by the way, if he was pronouncing it to the shepherds, it's in your Bible, guess what? He pronounced it to you too. They pronounced it to you that the Son had came, the Savior was born. I think we too easily forget what it means that the Savior has been born to them and us. See, the truth, the truth of it is eternal life alone. The truth of eternal life alone. If we really understood what that meant, if we really understand what eternal life means, for us is more than enough to give us cause to rejoice in every single situation. Every single situation, no matter what we go through, we can actually declare. I want you to think about this. Yes, one day, God, I will be in the presence of Jesus. I know this is this, this is a, 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 a not a desirable situation, but God, I'm going to rejoice in it because I know you're going to use it in my life. And but one day, anyway, I'm going to be in heaven with you. And you know what? This life is just a dash. Just a dash. Just a dash. You know, God can take me right there. Just a dash. Yes, but one day I will be in heaven. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand that Jesus came as a little boy to die for you so you can have everlasting life with him? He owes you nothing. And he gives give you everything. There's not a gift in the world that is better than that gift. There's not a gift in the world that is better than that gift. If you get nothing else, remember that. That you win. It may sound silly, but heaven is a real hope. And it's a real source of joy. We can find our joy in that and that alone. Salvation includes heaven. But again, there's good news. For those that are still on earth, it doesn't just mean heaven. It's more than that. Salvation means we are God's children. Salvation means we are part of God's family. To be, in God's, to be God's child is to be always on God's mind. Do you, do you, blows my mind. Stuff I, I know about God now, it blows my mind. How does he think about us all at the same time? Because he's God. But he's thinking of you. Think about that. He, you are on his mind. 
to have a relationship with you right now. See? We are God's children. Having God, having God involved and working in everything in our lives. You do realize that he is working in your life. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's painful. But I can tell you what, when my children were little, if they run in the road, I'm going to pull them out. You know, to be found in Christ is to be given the standing offer and ability to be in God's presence. You have the opportunity to be in God's presence all of the time. There's nothing you can be joyful about. You are saved. Stop feeling pity party for yourself. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop complaining. You have more than enough. You have Jesus. To believe in Jesus is always to have his spirit, his insight, his help, his comfort, his strength in every single circumstance. You have all of that available to you. Are you using it? You can pray this prayer. Lord, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Help me to remember your joy for the salvation that you provided. Make our, our joy complete as is, it is found in you alone and cannot be taken from you. It cannot be taken from you. What hope we have in you help us to see the great joys that the shepherds witnessed that night. See, joy is stolen when we forget that Jesus arrived, what Jesus' arrival on earth meant to our lives. I think the longer we've been Christians, the more we forget what it means to our lives. That this baby, that God, a God put on flesh and became a baby. He could have just walked up, 33 years old, went to the cross, died. But he didn't do that. Do you know why? Because we didn't need a Savior that just died for us. We needed a Savior that lived a life that we could not live. And go through all of the same experiences that you go through. But not sin. But choose that. We can't do that. So we needed somebody to do that. That's what it means for Jesus to come as a baby. So we serve through it by making mud pies in a slum of what the world offers instead of seeking the refreshment of a holiday at the sea because that's what God offers which comes from meeting and loving Jesus. See, we think of Christmas. Do you see images of people that are full of hope and joy? Do you see, when you see Christians, I don't see Christians full of hope and joy. And we have all the hope and joy we can be. We are some of the most complaining people on the planet. We are supposed to, this is my dream to have a church that everybody there that has been there for a while has joy to the fullest. That is my dream. That is my prayer to God that he will, do you know why? Because I don't care this, if there was only 10 people in this church and they were living a life that were full of joy like this, they would have more impact on the world than all of us. 
than all of us. Because they would realize that it's not about us. See, life can be hard, but we know the secret the shepherds have. The Savior has come. In him, we are saved. In him, we win. We win! You know, in this day and age, if you've got grandkids or kids that play sports, they're all winners now. I don't know where the competition went, but until high school, everybody's a winner. And then suddenly they have to start competing. And they go, what's this? They're keeping score. But you know, we're like the preschoolers that play softball, the t-ball. They all win. We are all winners. <coughs> we're all winners. We have won. In him, we win. The amazing thing is not, no matter what happens, that can never be taken away. No matter what life throws at you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a winner. You are a winner. You have won. And one day, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus. One day, this life's going to be over, so whatever you complain about, it's going to be done. You know? And this quote, this quote, I said this in first service, but it blows my mind. I'm ready. If God takes me before I walk out of the church doors, have it. Because I know where I'm going. And it blows my mind when I talk to people who believe in God and they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they say, I'm scared to die. What are you scared of? What are you scared of? I want to ask every Christian that says to me that what, obviously your faith isn't very strong because what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? You are going to be in a new body. My body's only 49 years old and it aches when I didn't know I had aches. I didn't even know I had body parts when it aches now. Okay, I'm ready whenever he is. My family is going to miss me, but guess what? They're going to get over it. And one day, one day, their faith is in Jesus Christ. They will be together. We will be together again in the presence of Jesus. So I'm okay whenever he wants to take me. I'm not afraid to die. I will tell you this, I'm afraid that I'm not living. I'm, not, I'm afraid that I'm not living the way God wants me to live. But I'm not afraid to die. John 8, verse 6 says this. So if the Son sets you free, if the Son has set you free, so again, if you've accepted Christ, the Son has set you free, you're, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. So let's, let's live like we're saved. Let's start living like we believe on church to hear about. That we are saved. That we belong to God. Let's live like we're loved. Because we are loved like nobody else. See, it bugs me when somebody comes to me and says, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. Well, guess what? There's always one that loves you. There's always one. And that's the only one that matters. I hate to tell you this, but that's the only one that matters. It's Jesus. Well, there's three really, because it's God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. But we'll say one, because he is one. But, you know, it is him. 
You are loved. No matter what anybody tells you, you are loved. God sent his son to die for you. How much more do you need to be loved? So let's live like that. Every moment is a chance to sing and live our praises to an amazing king. Every moment is a chance to rejoice. Every moment is an opportunity to be filled and be overflowed with joy. And like I said, how do you think, what do you think would happen if we all got away from this, this joy feeling, and lived a life like this? What do you think it's going to do to this community? Thank you. Exactly. If we all live like that, and we stopped complaining, and started living full of joy, that joy, if you've been around a real joyful person, I've been, I've been preaching at Fair Haven the last few weeks, and there's a guy there, Paul, his name is, it's the, it's the, it's the, what's he from? Sweden. It's a Swedish name for Paul, so it's cool. He's cool. He should, I can buy him a house, because he, his name is me, Paul. And, and, do you know what? His wife has Alzheimer's. And I have never, ever met in my whole life person who is more full of joy than that man. I've never met somebody that is so full of joy that it is contagious. I want to be like Paul. Because that's the type of person I want to be. It's the first thing I noticed about him. The first thing I ever noticed about him is his joy. Wouldn't you like that if the first person, the first thing somebody noticed about you was in all your situations? His wife is in a bad stage of, of Alzheimer's and he is smiling. His wife was in the hospital and like a bunch of people went up to see her. See her? And because they all went up, this is what this guy did. He lives in a condo, so he's self-sustaining. He, he lives in Bay, but he's got his own condo there and he lives there, so he gets some some stuff, but most of it he takes care of himself. And here's the, here's the thing about it. Everybody, there was like 30 people. David told me, there was 30 people. He cooked, he invited them all because they went over to see his wife. He wanted to thank them by having a banquet. He made everything that was served. And he even did centerpieces for the table. Because he's full of joy. Don't you want to have a life like that? Because I do. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this gift. Thank you that this gift is unlike any other gift that has ever been given. Thank you for sending your son to save us from our sins. Thank you. We forget, sometimes we forget what a wonderful and amazing gift our salvation really is. I want you, God, to just fill everybody in this room with the joy and hope that you and you alone can provide. A joy so overwhelming that we, like the shepherds, are compelled to share it with others. That we have so much joy contained in our vessels that we, 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 we overflow and we pour out and we make everybody in our lives want to just overflow with joy, the joy that you have us. We are thankful for the, the certainty of heaven in Jesus. Yes, we are. But until that day, 
We, like the shepherds, will choose to glorify and praise you. We will continue to rejoice in who you are and what you have done. We thank you and praise you. And just like Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.